Hello, hello, and welcome to the Love Doctor Podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Leah Tidy, and I'm glad to have you here. On today's show, I'm answering questions about identity, books and TV shows that have informed my understanding of sexuality, and I also share a little embarrassing story because, well, listener, that's what you wanted. I am also excited to be sharing part two of my conversation with Jennifer Gibson, where we talk more about our roles as sexual health educators and specifically talking about BIPOC communities and how we can do more, especially as white privileged people, to make sure that we are holding space as educators professionally, but also in our personal lives. But first, today in sex. As a new doctor of philosophy, I've had a lot of time to think about what that means and what my responsibilities are. I actually literally had to say an oath when I was getting my degree to accept the rights, privileges, and responsibilities that this degree implies. Uh, What started as a crazy idea to get teens and older adults together to create theater about sex has really transformed into this wonderful and strange career that I am so grateful to have. My work is centered around using theater to amplify the voices of those we don't hear from enough, and especially in terms of sexual health and accessibility. And that's a big part of why I started this podcast. But what I really want to talk to you about today is that privilege piece that I swore to accept when getting my PhD. I am white, and that means that I have privilege. It doesn't mean that I haven't had struggles in my life, that I haven't felt trauma or fear before but it means that I didn't feel those things because of the color of my skin. It also doesn't mean that I didn't work really hard in school, especially over the last eight years, to get to where I am, but my success really is largely due to a colonial racist education system that is designed for me as a white settler to succeed in. It's really uncomfortable to admit, to sit in the knowledge that despite believing that I'm a good person, I like to think that I'm a good and decent human being, that I am a part of a larger society that has continuously, it has denied the needs and the rights of BIPOC folks. And for those who keep hearing that phrase BIPOC, especially right now over the last few weeks with protests and riots happening around the world, but especially in the States, BIPOC stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. And right now, we are seeing that people are angry, but also people are hopeful for change. They are are hungry for change, they're desperate for it, but they see that it needs to happen. I try to live my values every day, but I'm sharing my voice right now because I have so much to learn about my own white privilege. One of the terms that you hear people using right now is unlearn, and I think that no matter who we are, we have been told things about ourselves from society that simply they just aren't true. So our learning process, it needs to hold both in a balance, an ability to question the things that we have always thought to be true, and then to hold space within ourselves to grow with our new knowledge and unlearning. I really believe that the power to create a more equitable change lies in each of us, and we need to come from a place of hope. We need to be hopeful that the struggle and the violence that BIPOC communities have endured will not go unanswered, but instead they will be taken up by allies who say that enough is enough. This can look like education, it can look like taking time for self-care and reflection, 
You can donate if you can. You can protest. You can sign petitions. You can use art to express yourself. Embrace joy when you're feeling it and sadness and anger. But it also means using our voices to nudge our world closer to justice. I hope that if you have questions, you feel safe and comfortable to send them to me at the Love Doctor Podcast at gmail.com. Because I think that having these kind of conversations is so important. And as you'll hear in part two of my interview with Jennifer Gibson today, sexuality, it doesn't exist in some sort of vacuum. And we need to be having these conversations to have a better sex life. Trust me, you'll see. So today, instead of answering a series of questions from multiple different people, I actually had one person send in a series of questions. And I really think this is a great idea because I get to feel like we will have a conversation and hopefully I can be able to shed some light on the great questions that you ask. So I'm just going to play the audio clip now and I'll get into my responses. Hi, Leah. Glad to hear you're starting a podcast exploring the world of our sexual health. I'm soon to turn 30 and I think I'm very lucky to be born into a time when there is so much acceptance for an exploration of sexuality. It takes people like you to keep that progress going in a positive direction, so thank you. I have several questions depending on where you want to take this podcast. Uh, firstly, what books have impacted your own life, be that your identity or your sexual interests? Secondly, Losing my virginity was a negative experience, and the relationship was not a good one. It took me a long time, a lot of reading, and a lot of deep reflection to get me past that. What advice do you have for people trying to move past negative experiences? Have you noticed any research that comments on the life-altering effects of positive or negative sexual experience or sexuality in people's lives? Maybe, as something a little bit cheeky and fun, uh, do you have any slightly embarrassing stories or moments, uh, awkward encounters, uh, hilarious anecdotes or personal challenges that you want to share just to remind everyone that we're all human and it doesn't always go as planned? Thanks very much. Hope you have a grand day. I'm going to start first with what books have impacted my identity and my sexual interests. I think this might be a really good time to, I guess, introduce myself on these terms. So I am a cisgender woman, which means that the sex that I was given at birth, a uh, female, uh, aligns with my inner sense of gender identity. I am also a bisexual woman, so that means that I am attracted to men and women, uh, but it also doesn't mean that I necessarily conform to that binary of gender. You hear a lot of folks who describe themselves as pansexual, meaning that they're attracted to people and not specifically to a gender. So I have identified as bisexual since I was 12, and for me, that just feels like something that honors who I am and my own understanding of self, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I believe in that strict gender binary of man-woman. This is all just to say that is the frame through which I'm going to talk about my experience. So a book that I recently just finished, which I think was really helpful, was State of Affairs by Esther Perel. And what I loved about this book was that she really talks about relationship boundaries. It's predominantly about people who have cheated and what that experience has been like. So the great thing is it's kind of written as as anecdotes. Here's so many stories and so many couples that she has sat down with to talk about their experiences. But what kept coming up again and again is that 
there is this assumption that in a relationship, it's supposed to be monogamous. But a lot of the time, we don't actually have that conversation with our partner. We both enter into the relationship having this ideal or idea in our head, but we haven't actually talked to each other about what does infidelity mean? What does it mean to be monogamous? Do you believe that emotional cheating is a thing? Or do you just believe that only if you are physically having sex with each other, that is cheating? And I just think this book helps facilitate that conversation to have with our intimate partners to really see what are our boundaries and how can we make sure that we create a healthy space for ourselves before there's some huge event that really can damage us and hurt us in a lot of ways. Now, another book that I've been reading is called Pussy. I have been trying to read this book actually for quite a few years. So it's by this woman named Mama Gina, and I've had it for so long. Really, I, I am such an avid reader. I normally devour books. So this has been a strange experience for me. So there's a lot of good stuff in the book, and it's about people with uteruses and people with vulvas really claiming their own power and getting in touch with their inner desires and sense of self. And I, I love that. I think we we live in a patriarchal society, so being able to hone in on that, what she calls that feminine energy, I think is something that's really quite revolutionary and something that we should celebrate. But this is the catch. It feels a bit too, like, preachy. Really, it just sounds like a rich white woman telling people that they need to spend money to take her classes in order to get in touch with themselves and the great pussy in the sky, what she calls a GPS. And so I think my critical brain is having a hard time getting through it. I'll have to give you an update on it. I would recommend reading it because it has opened up my eyes to really harnessing the energy that I have in myself and being really proud of my body as a woman. I also want to say that it wasn't necessarily a book, but the show The L Word was hugely influential for me in my own identity. Now, I watched the original series that came out in 2004, and I started watching it when I was 12. And this was actually the same year that I realized I was bisexual. And now the L word is about this group of lesbian women who are living in Los Angeles in the early 2000s. Uh, some of it is really great. And I mean, a lot of really beautiful people getting it on. So I mean, great in that sense. But at the same time, their representation in the show is far from perfect. Um, it was a huge step forward in the visibility of lesbian women. But the way that they talk about people who are bisexual, not great. And also, it's pretty transphobic throughout a lot of it. So, I again, I think we need to be able to consume our shows, but also books with that critical eye. Now, I'm actually thinking of including reviews and discussions on books, songs, and popular TV shows on this podcast, and to really talk about how they represent sexuality and how we can look at the messages that we're being sold in the media and what does that mean in our own lives, in our own embodied experiences. So I'm wondering, is, is that something that you would be interested in? It's something that I don't see a lot of other podcasters doing, and I think that the cultural content that we consume is a really big component of how we present ourselves to the world and how we understand our sexuality. So if you think that would be interesting, please send me a tweet at TidyLeah, T-I-D-E-Y-L-E-A-H, or send a voice memo to our podcast email, thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. 
And now to the second question that you ask about how do we get past these negative sexual experiences in our lives and what does research tell us about it? Now, first, I just call her. I really want to thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing this story. I know for a lot of folks having that first sexual experience, sometimes it's not a pleasurable one. Sometimes it wasn't a safe one. And it's hard to be able to talk about those things, especially if they were negative. So really, thank you for for feeling confident and safe enough to share that here. Now, the first time that I had penetrative sex, because I really think that we need to be clear that, you know, penis and vagina sex is not the signifier of real sex. That is just one form of sex. And we really need to reframe the dialogue, you know, about losing our virginity. But I digress. Anyway, so that first sexual experience for me wasn't great. And that first relationship with that long-term boyfriend, it was not healthy. Far from it. Like you, Caller, it really took me a long time to to start to unpack those experiences and my own feelings of shame around the sex that we were having and really that that whole relationship. You know, I was only 16 at the time, and so I was doing a lot of my own growing and finding myself in the world, and so I had a lot of mixed emotions about that relationship. Now, while I'm not recommending jumping into a new relationship to fix those feelings, I will say that my next relationship after this really unhealthy one, it was hugely beneficial in helping me work through my feelings because I was so young at the time and and for some reason I chose not to talk to my parents about it. And I know that happens a lot. For young people, they feel like they can't talk to their parents about sex. And even as we get older, sometimes we can never talk to our parents about sex. But... I was able to turn to this this partner in this next relationship and really share those experiences with someone that I felt safe and somewhere I felt really seen in that relationship. Now, I feel bad for not actually talking to my parents about it because they really are such wonderful and supportive people. But at the age of 16, yeah, no, I did not have nearly the emotional awareness to figure out how to do that. And so that was just off the table. But overall, I think finding someone who knows you to help you talk through what happened is really important. And even more so than that, talking to a therapist or professional, someone who can someone who can really hear us, but then tease out those feelings around our past experiences, and they can offer you some more positive strategies for moving forward and what a healthy relationship um, intimately and sexually can look like moving forward. On the research side of it, as part of my dissertation, I actually have an entire chapter about sexual shame. And indulge me, if you will, for just a moment. I'm just going to read you this short piece. Shame thrives in the dark, unspoken parts of ourselves, which we do not share with others. It can be imposed by other people and institutions that tell us certain behavior is unacceptable and that we must conform to societal norms. It is clear from the literature that shame is often associated with silence, whereas empowerment lays in finding our voice. And I think that's really the distinction. That shame piece is not being able to speak about our experiences and feeling that something that we have done or who we are is bad or unlovable. And that simply isn't true. And I think a big part of that and why I say uh, empowerment lays in finding our voice is sharing those experiences and talking about them so that we can take ownership over that experience and what we're going to do moving forward.
I've also read Gender, Sex, and Sexuality among Contemporary Youth. It's called Generation Sex, and that came out in 2018. And what I found really helpful was that each chapter tackles a different aspect of sexuality and how there are so many factors that influence our experiences of sex and gender. There's actually an entire chapter about teen girls in abusive relationships where their boyfriends threaten to kill themselves if they sense the relationship is ending. And I was really shook because every word of that specific chapter, it could have been taken verbatim from my own experience. And it was awful to read that it's a recurring script that so many young people have faced. Now, also, uh, what I have read consistently in the research is to better educate ourselves. The best thing to do is to be prepared when we enter into these first experiences or any sexual experience. But even afterwards, as we start to make sense of these experiences and we're gaining this better understanding of what healthy sexuality means to us, and that also means claiming agency over our bodies and preparing us so we can have more satisfying and rewarding sexual experiences in the future. Lastly, in terms of research, I'll say that there's a theory called the life course perspective, and that's been a big part of my own work where that basically looks at our experiences that we have across our life course. So that means experiences that I had as a teenager will probably have some influence or have some impact on the experiences that I will have in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s, and so on as I age. So that's why when I did my work, I looked at youth and older adults together because I wanted to see how those experiences at different parts in our lives, at different life stages, really could they inform each other? And was there a correlation between what, what older adults are feeling in terms of social stigma and what youth are also feeling? So a big part of the life, life course perspective, it talks about advantages and disadvantages and how those can accumulate, how they can pile on top of each other. And really, this theory is a big way for us to think about institutional inequality, particularly if we're looking at racism, if we're looking at classism, at sexism. This is a way of saying that our experiences early in our life and our social circumstances can really inform how our lives change and the experiences that we have throughout our lives. So it's really looking at like disproportionate advantage and it looks at privilege as well. It's not just if you had one at bad experience, you're more likely to have another bad experience. It's looking at what are the larger social implications and institutions that influence our experiences based on our skin color, based on the amount of money we make, based on our gender, based on our sexual orientation, and so many things about our intersectional identities that inform our lives and how we experience them. Now, I also want to say, caller, that you did a lot of the right things. You know, you did a lot of reading and deep reflection. And I really think that that's a big part of altering that narrative and fostering more positive experiences. I told you, you know, I've linked all the resources that I referenced today, and I hope they are helpful. I'll make sure that they are accessible to everyone here if you want to check those out. So I'm just going to answer the last part of your question as well, that kind of more humanizing question, if you will. Now, as you said, caller, all of us are human. So, of course, things aren't going to go according to plan. And uh, especially when it comes to sex and things like that, it just won't happen. Uh, without getting too explicit... I will say that one time I had been seeing this guy 
And it was great. It was basically just like a summer fling, but I thought he was great. So I hadn't seen this guy in about a month or two because I had gone back to school and was no longer working at the place where we had met and we worked together. But they were throwing a Halloween party. So I thought, oh, what a wonderful opportunity to come back into town and show him what he was missing. Yeah, that didn't exactly go according to plan. My sister and I went to a Halloween party where there was a costume contest for the best couple's costume. And uh, my sister's partner was out of town. So her and I decided to go together because it was a place that we had both worked at. And I thought, ooh, if we win this couple's costume thing with our sick costumes, maybe this guy will be interested in me and want to um, pick up where we left off, shall we say. The issue uh, wasn't necessarily in that plan, because maybe he would have been interested. I think it was more so the costume that was the issue. I will say, before I tell you what the costume was, we did definitely win best couple's costume because it was great. But my sister was Captain Kirk and I was Spock. Yeah, with the ears, with the eyebrows, with a black wig on, I was a pretty convincing Spock. So I'm not quite sure what I was thinking that, oh yeah, dress up as Spock for sure. That That'll make this guy want to start seeing you again. Uh, Needless to say, uh, it didn't work. Um, But that's okay. Both of us have moved on, and I still have photo evidence and the pride in my heart knowing that my sister and I are a great duo, and we won that damn costume contest. Thank you so much, caller. I really appreciated you taking the time to send in so many questions. And as you said, I am developing what this podcast is going to look like. And so having a wide variety of questions really is amazing because I hope the different people who listen can take different things away from it. So thank you again. And now I'm excited to share part two of my interview with Jennifer Gibson. And we're just going to dive right in. There's another piece that I'm interested in talking about empowerment and holding space and how do we see and hear more diverse voices on stage. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking especially right now with the Black Lives Matter movement and how important it is to, as we said before, to be facilitators and to really like leverage our own privilege Mm -hmm. to hold space. I've been following a lot of sexual health educators who are like, you know, race is a part of sexual health and they can't be taken apart from each other. They inform Mm -hmm. each other. So I just kind of want to get your any thoughts Mm -hmm. and opinions about the intersection there. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, has allowed sort of a sex negative shame based discourse is the separation between sexuality and race and ethnicity and Mm -hmm. ability and age. Like we have looked, you know, in this very, and again, like the SCX part, like this very narrow scope of that. And I think, especially when we talk about reproductive justice, Mm -hmm. I mean, how can you separate that, especially from the black community, right? And the field of, I mean, the field of gynecology, and there's so much there and there's so much history that has been erased. Yeah. Um, you know, that has been absolutely ignored. And I think the, you know, the other piece, I mean, you know, when you were talking about the youth wanting to talk about orientation, well, pride, 
Absolutely. Like Stonewall. Like, where did that come from? You know, like, like that whole, that is inextricably linked to race. Absolutely. And to oppression and to freedom. Like, and I think it's just such a, it's such a fascinating time. Like, I just feel like this is such an opportunity for you know, all of us to really step back and like, look at like the intersections and Mm -hmm. look at how they've been used to control and manipulate and negate and how, you know, we can all work together to create space for people to take those oppressions back and actually make them freedoms. Really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a time where we're creating space like and I, my hope is, and I, you know, in, you know, in the last week, you know, again, I mean, I was, I've been lucky enough through, I've been privileged enough through doing a gender studies degree to have lots of opportunities to have conversations about race and gender and ability and age and, you know, even body positivity, looking at size of bodies and the depiction of sexuality, especially through female identified bodies, Mm -hmm. what is sex look like and sexiness I had you know I had that privilege from my education to do that and I think you know in unfortunately in in our mainstream discussions about sexuality it has been very narrow white cisgender heteronormative able Mm -hmm. bodies and anyone who you know didn't fit into that which is many people yeah probably the majority of say most (laughs) yeah yeah say the majority of people you know had something they could identify with but not enough like and and this i think is such an amazing opportunity for us to just be like you know what i have some space who'd like to step in here Mm -hmm. right like i've been privileged enough to be able to do this amount of work would someone out like someone else is way better to speak about this than I am. Right. And that's one of the things that I, you know, we've always done in the work that we've done with indigenous communities is especially in, you know, in other communities who have barriers is we want to be invited into the community in no way. Do we want to say, this is what we have to offer. Right. Like, and, and approach, we want it to be symbiotic and to be like, what, what can we offer you from our privilege? Right. And let you be an expert on your own experience because you are like, yeah, absolutely. I like how you've separated that, the sex and the duality, because I think I well, other people have separated it and we really need to look at it more all together because that is the part of it that makes our individual experiences so unique and so rich is how there's so many aspects of our identity and our personal sense of self, but also how society has shaped us and informed what we should look like, feel like, who we should love. And so if you can find, you know, the more and more narratives that are out there that show more diverse folks and especially in diverse sexual orientations and relationships, then yeah. there people are just going to be able to identify more with being like, oh, like, this speaks truer to my lived experience. And I can use this experience to maybe inform my future experiences. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's definitely been an interesting journey of for myself, like, how do I make sure that I'm not taking up space, but I'm holding yeah. it and trying yes. to make make that difference. And it's mm-hmm. constant. It's a constant negotiation, you know, every mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, it's again, it's that like that intention and looking at creating community and what's my mm-hmm. role in this community. 
you know, yeah. what role, what role, what can I offer you? Right. What can I yeah. offer you out of the resources that I have and the, you know, the knowledge that I have, what can we share and what can we move together? Cause there are pieces that, you know, that work for me that aren't going to work for you based on race, based on ability, based on body size, based on orientation and gender identity. And rather than, you know, make assumptions and, and, and I think too, it's just taking the time to yeah. ask. Absolutely. Right? And just to be like, is there anything, you know, you need? Like, mm-hmm. you know, is there anything, do I have anything that could be useful for you? Yeah. Maybe not. Right. But I think it's a part of, you know, I'm thinking about it too, in terms of like, our. I feel like our, our patriarchal society set it up like, this is a problem, we will fix it. We will take action and fix it, and we want it to be immediate. And if we move away from that and say, well, it's it's far more complex, how do we lean into these gray areas that, you know, it's going to take multiple levels, like at our personal, community, institutional, you know, government world, it's going to take change at all of these different levels into order to create something that's more sustainable. And so it's it's interesting. You're, I feel like you're always trying to get away from the the quick fix of like, oh well, I've done this thing, check, move on to the next, instead yeah. of actually doing the hard work that, yeah, that evolves, and and then mm-hmm. doing your own learning and also unlearning. And I think that practice it's the practice of it too, right? Mm-hmm. Like the practice of. And you and I are, I think, you know, this is where we have privilege and advantage in that we talk about things with sexuality that aren't universally comfortable for people. Yes. And so, like, then you get some skills around that, right? And and some of those skills are transferable. And I'm Mm -hmm. certainly not trying to say that sexuality and race are the same thing because they're not. But it's that, I think, just ability to hold space and to listen to people's stories and to give them space to talk about their experiences and state their needs. Yeah. Um, and to, I think make it an ongoing conversation that it doesn't have to be finite. Like, like you said, like, we're like, Oh, we had that talk. Good. Yeah. Right. Done. It fixed. Nice, little, in any situation. That's when, that's when the problems arise is when you think you've done something. That's scary yeah. when you think, Oh good. I've done that, you know, done. And I often see that, especially when I work with parents around, you know, having conversations with their kids around sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I find it really interesting. I've been, you know, looking at a lot of um, parenting blogs about how to talk to your, you know, kids about race. I find it really fascinating because it's the same as if we're, you know, same premises around talking about sexuality is like creating space for diverse voices and, mm-hmm. you know, not judgment and being curious about the difference, right? Yeah. And honoring the difference as opposed to valuing it, right? Yeah. Like, which is so interesting. And, and this idea that you could just have one talk. Yeah. About something the talk. Your, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's your identity. Like, how do you have one talk about your identity? Like, right? That's why. It's so multifaceted. Absolutely. That's one of the things that I have appreciated, though, like seeing more from from parents who are trying to model and specifically, like you said, because this is our work looking at sexuality, but talking about race and class and ableism Mm -hmm. and how those are conversations you start when you're when your children are young, you know, or any young people that you have in your life and people at any age, but especially if you start when when someone's young to have these conversations, Mm -hmm. then you can have more evolved conversations throughout your whole life. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I just, I'm, I feel very, very privileged. The fact that my family, we talked about 
white privilege. We talked about how, you know, the color of our skin will inequitably, it will uh, privilege us in so many other ways, and we did nothing to deserve it. And I, I, like you as a white settler, have uh, had a family who my mom always talked to me about the privileges that I was given came with a great responsibility. Mm. They come with responsibilities for people who have don't have that privilege. Yeah. And so I feel so fortunate that that, you know, that was a piece of it. And I, I think my mom and I actually were just talking about that this week. And she's like, well, I don't think I intentionally did that. Like I didn't, when I was raising you think, oh, well, I'm going to sit down and like, I want my, this, I want her to have this as a value. And she said it, it was the values that my parents like offered mm. me. Right. Like, right. And, and so it would be interesting to see. And of course my grandparents have long passed, but it would be interesting to see it, when it was intentional, like where did it go from being intentional to just who we are as people? Like, yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Like, and, and of course there's still intention in it because we still operate in the world that way, but it's much more familiar than if you're all of a sudden having to be like, okay, I have to look at something that I didn't think of before as a privilege and how am I going to use that to help someone else and yeah. not knowing where to start. Like that's the other yeah. thing is like not, yeah. and wanting to do the right thing and wanting to not harm anyone anymore. Yeah. Um, and then also being very well, it's being immobilized by that fear of of doing and saying something wrong, mm-hmm. and and I think that's been something that I'm I'm much more comfortable as a listener, and it mm-hmm. just takes me a long time to process. And so, yeah, yeah it's it's hard to find because I get caught up and I'm like, oh, I should say this exact right thing in this way, and I'm like, well, it's better that you're adding your voice to something mm-hmm. instead of yeah. just remaining silent. And so, and it's knowing that, okay, well, what I said yesterday, like it was a step forward, but then now with my learning yeah. today, it's just, it's going to get better. Right. right? So yeah, hope it's, it's evolution. Like it's dynamic. I think that's, I think that's the, you know, that's one of my greatest learnings in life. And that's one of the things that I try and, and live and, and bring to my work is that, you know, it's dynamic, like Mm -hmm. things are changing and evolving all of the time. And so, you know, like, how do we show up? And what work do we do before we get there? And it's about moving forward and like recognizing where you're at and where we can go and, and also approaching this with compassion, right? Yeah, absolutely. And again, that I don't know, and someone said to me, a high school counselor once said to me, I did a parent session, and we had a bunch of youth educators there, and we were all talking about kind of youth issues, mm-hmm. and, you know, like drugs and sex and, you know, rock yeah. and roll, all those crazy <laughs> things. Yeah. And it was like, basically, like, the tone was kind of like, well, what's wrong? This is what's wrong in the world, right? Like, mm. there's drugs, and there's, like, you know, sex, and there's, like, whatever, and I'm like, you know, I sort of think, like, well, what could be right with the world and how can we make it more right? Yeah. And it's not to negate the wrong stuff because we absolutely have to be aware of that. But I think it's about living in that place of hope and, and like inspiration and wanting to be connected to community to, you know, just make this the most affirming experience for people. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a part of it too, is if, if you're feeling hopeless and disenfranchised, then it can be really hard to motivate yourself to do something and i think it like for me it's it's like it comes through community 
right? Mm-hmm. That connection through community and learning Absolutely. from each other. And yeah, and I, and I think that's, you know, what we've seen in the last week. And, and certainly, I mean, it's, it's, it's long overdue. And I certainly recognize I have not done as much as I absolutely could have. And, you know, my action, I need to hold myself accountable and me more engaged as well. You know, what we've seen in a week, you know, this momentum, I hope has created community for people. And Mm -hmm. I think when we're connected, and we're not isolated, we're obviously stronger, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, and, and I don't think it's, you know, when people are like, I don't know if you've seen that meme about like 2020 needs a reset. Right. And like, I actually don't think, I think this is our reset. Yeah. With you, like, but it's all kind yeah. of come to a head, like issues that have been issues for so long. Yeah. And then just, I I think it's, it's, it's almost like it was a pressure cooker. And people are like, why is this happening now? I'm like, how could it not happen now? The tension and anxiety that's happening in the world. But then also, like you were saying, there is, you know, and and myself also working with youth, like their access to language and information is something that I didn't have access to till I was in my first few years of university. And so their their sense of social justice and wanting to create change is incredible and so it it does give me hope and you see like it's a lot of young people who are leading this change and i'm like oh well if the world is going to be inherited by this group of people yes like i not that i'm much older than them i'm I'm only 28 but you know i think it's it's that role of holding space for these these voices but then also every generation being like okay now what can i do Mm -hmm. and i think too like you know one of the the great legacies of it's that it's intergenerational learning absolutely thing is that like we've separated people by generation and by class and by race and by you know all of these things for so long and valued them that i think that like this being isolated in your home like that 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 being the first step like your freedoms being taken away Mm -hmm. from a generation that didn't know what it was like for many people to know what freedom like so that's a bit of a wake-up call absolutely and you know it's a very big wake-up call and to do things intentionally and have to think about things that you didn't a week ago i think that actually has been a perfect catalyst for us to go we cannot ignore what's not working in the world Mm -hmm. anymore like that has never worked but has benefited people i feel like there's synchronicity in that i don't know maybe i'm wrong no i think it's yeah it's kind of a weird thing it feels very apocalyptic right now but it's also that kind of that radical shift was i think really needed in terms of how we treat each other in the world but then also like for our our planet as a whole you know like this is a home for all of us and what is that going to look like moving forward if we don't make changes and if we make changes that are equitable for more people then we're going to create more equitable access to creating a more sustainable environment and actually doing something to address climate change not to get oh my gosh that's a whole other topic we could talk about but (laughs) but the intersections right this is the intersection it's almost like we had to be pushed into isolation to actually recognize the intersection. I, you know, I think sustaining this momentum and sustaining the work we're doing on ourselves. Yeah. And I think the commitment is the action piece, right? Like, so doing the learning and then what is the action? 
Yeah, you can get bogged down and being like, well, if I'm not doing enough, you're like, well, if you are doing something, it can always, you know, that is benefiting to the larger whole of what's happening. Yeah. I mean, and I have to tell you, one of the most exciting things, like, is having the opportunity, like, partly because of, you know, our pandemic response, and then, you know, people amplifying many people of color, you know, our BIPOC Instagram, for example, I found like sex educators that I would have never found. Yeah, same here. It's been amazing. It's just been excellent. And the fact that that becomes part of your newsfeed every day. Mm -hmm. Now I'm starting to hear from different perspectives and then how is that just informing my work going forward as as a person but then also like as a professional in this field yeah you know i think that's like that's the ultimate goal when you know in any kind of conversations that you're having is if you need more information if you hear what i'm not saying you Mm -hmm. know follow up with me kind of thing because yeah and i mean this is the cool thing is that you know now you're like so here's a website right like here's our texting number Mm -hmm. text us questions you have and then that I think is the conduit and you know for for knowledge and you know I think in some ways they just need permission you know unfortunately we still need that permission to be like your curiosity it's cool like it's good to be curious yeah cool curious right it's great to have questions ask them please you know Mm -hmm. here are the resources that can help you answer them that will you know hopefully help you moving forward Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we saw that, you know, I mean, look at what we saw with our older actors and yeah. the questions they had and, you know, the experiences that they shared about like being educated when they were young. Absolutely. And how that's changed so, so much. And then, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to talk to youth about the education that they had, just realizing, I think in some ways, a lot of older adults were like, oh, like I was not set up to create the best choices for me. You know, and ones that reflect who I am. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, you know, I've just felt very lucky that 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 we were holding a space where having those conversations were finally they were finally happening. And I think you can Mm -hmm. see by the amount of people that we had at our performances and the amount of like questions and ideas and like really exciting dialogue that was happening is that there's a real thirst for this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And there's that shared experiences and shared knowledge amongst generations i think you're right like i think it's it's there's something about that intergenerational piece that i think will be the way for us to actually create more ongoing dialogue and then more like Mm -hmm. empathetic listening as well Mm -hmm. right because you have that difference Mm -hmm. the humor i mean i think that was the other thing like in the yeah you know in in the writing like when you wrote the script and refined the script and creating space for that humor as a sense of connection. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. I, think, I always find it really interesting that, you know, when we talk about sexuality and humor, it's often like meant to like mock. It's right. meant to mock sexuality or through stereotypes or, mm-hmm. you know, it's never meant to like shed and I think that you know it's certainly changing but like I mean I just think about humor for example like watching sex education on Netflix and how like genuinely funny it is because they're looking at the humanity of sexuality and the awkwardness and the like and of course yes it's incredibly well scripted but I think there's so much and when I talk to the youth about it they're like they're like I felt myself reflected there because it was like awkward and humorous and it like is it in the future is it in the past? I don't really know. Like, it's kind of timeless. And I think, 
you know, when we talk about sexuality and one of the best ways for us to communicate is to use that humor. Absolutely. Right. And not in a way to belittle, but in a way or mock, but in a way to just create comfort. Because I think when, you know, when we have some humor, it's it's something that unites us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's a way to to ease you into that conversation, because as soon as you've had some shared laughter, then you're much more likely to feel comfortable talking about something else. You're like, okay, now we've laughed together and now we can move into talking about, you know, especially in the show, like it's humor. And then we can talk about consent and enthusiastic agreement, things that are really hard to talk about, but you need to start somewhere. You need to introduce people into it without alienating people and feeling like they can't have a voice in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, it's it's just, again, it's about that connection. Like, and, and I think it, you know, it is something that we have more in common than not, you know, in terms of topics and the diversity of sexuality. I mean, I think that's the other thing. I don't think there's anything that is maybe more diverse than sexuality, really. Like, yeah, it's... I mean, I kind of like to say to people when they're like, oh, I don't know about this. I'm like, basically, if you have thought of it, I'm sure someone else has thought of it. And it's probably a thing, right? Yeah. And and who knows? And if you come up with something totally outlandish, oh, great. Like, the better. I'm, I am sure, right, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, sexuality, the only thing that is for sure is that it is diverse. That's mm-hmm. not like, really, we know yeah, a lot, I- but we really, we know this thing. <laughs> well, and, and to think about how it changes through a lifetime, it's it's phenomenal. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we just spend so much time of our, our, you know, so much of our time living that we don't always recognize the growth and the shift and the change in ourselves. But my hope is that, like, you know, when I'm, like, 99, because hopefully mm-hmm. I'll live that long, I'll mm-hmm. be able to, like, almost have, you know, when you do, like, a, a flashback where a montage mm. of all of your life, like, I would right. love to see, to be able to look at, like, like sexuality through my lifetime. I Like, right. that would be, like, my greatest gift if someone would play that back and just to see how you've changed and evolved. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I just think it's so interesting when you look at other cultures and how they talk about sexuality and, and the honesty, and especially if you look at, um, like, Northern European countries and how mm-hmm. sexuality is just something that they start with preschool conversations and it's something that the community yeah. is involved in. And then you look at how, you know, their rates of sexual satisfaction are higher mm-hmm. and, like, consensual like not consensual sex and but pleasure like it's yeah and I think that's what the the drama productions did was really look at that pleasure piece of it and like Mm -hmm. whoa it feels good to like you know when I think about the older characters that were like this feels good to feel these feelings again absolutely well and and I think that's that changing of because when you ask people originally that was a, a part of my research I'm like you know so what do you understand by the term sexual health and so many of the comments before we started the drama work together from youth and from older adults was about safety and risk and like, make sure you don't get an STI and make sure that you're using birth control. And like, that was kind of about it, it was like safety and risk. And then by the end of it, it had, it had grown even just a little bit to be like, oh, it's about one of them specifically talked about pleasure. And it was specifically about how do I communicate with a partner so that we're both having this reciprocal, pleasurable experience and how it had just widened it just a little bit to be able to be like, oh, sexuality and sexual health is about so much more than that 
risk prevention. Mm-hmm. It's it's about us. I can be a really affirming sense of self and a way of connection and a way of like, you know, personal pleasure. So it was nice to see like even over those, you know, five months of working together, just a mm-hmm. bit of a shift. And like you said, those ripple effects, you're like, who knows if those sparked conversations with their own families and community members that mm-hmm. hopefully, I like to call them their they're advocates for change. We didn't like mm-hmm. create social change, but we created advocates who are now out in their community planting the seed and just yeah. spreading the word. Right? <laughs> well, because I think that's like, I mean, that that's true systemic change when you have that because you're hearing it on so many different levels. And yeah. it's so interesting. I just recently I had a young person say to me that, you know, they're making decisions to be sexual with a partner and they're like, so how do you ask someone to be tested? Right. And I'm like, that is such a great, like, that's such a great question. I'm like, well, first thing I'm going to ask you is imagine if you were being asked to be tested, like, how would that feel for you? And they were like, oh, well, well, oh. And I'm like, yeah, like, 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 because we often decentralize ourselves from this, which is interesting too. Like, yeah. Anyways, I said, how would you like to be asked? And they're like, well, like, I wouldn't want to be accused. And I'm like, right. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why are you thinking about like what could go wrong? Like you're thinking about preventing infection about like, you know, what could go wrong, but what if you thought about what could go right? Like Mm -hmm. what if someone said to you, like, I want this experience to be super hot. So Mm -hmm. are there some things that we need to do beforehand? Like for me, maybe it would be knowing you had, you've had a partner or partners before. Maybe it's like getting tested. That would make it really hot for me. And they were like, Oh, like I never even thought about like this idea about what could make it hot. Well, because then if you have that feeling, I mean, there's some research about that as well. If you're feeling really, like, safe and you're being like, oh, okay, we've both gotten tested and now Mm -hmm. let's do it. And and there isn't that worry. So you can kind of be more present in that moment and grounded and in your body that it's like, yeah, why would you not want to have that experience? You're right. It would be way more hot if not in the back of their mind. You're like, oh, man, I hope you don't have chlamydia. Like, it's the whole thing. and yeah, and you know, and, and again, that speaks to how we educate people. Mm-hmm. We educate people, like, if we're trying to reduce risk, like, why do we focus on the ultimate worst thing? Why don't we empower them so that, and I mean, that's what's research, you know, is showing us now is if we give them really solid information that helps them use critical thinking skills and make solid decisions. Right. And it's so interesting. And I think that's the other thing is that I often talk about like with people, like your expectation of Mm -hmm. a sexual experience and your experience of that experience might be so different. And then the follow up of that. And because I think a lot of times, a lot of negative sexual experiences comes afterwards because you have so much anxiety right about like oh like maybe maybe i maybe i do have an infection maybe that maybe there's an unintentional pregnancy maybe that wasn't good maybe this wasn't and like a lot of that can be if we front load this stuff and we Mm -hmm. have conversations about sexuality in really open ways and but recognizing that people haven't been given space or permission to have that autonomy to say this is what I need. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what, I think that's what drama, like that's one of the big products of our production for me was we were giving people space to recognize sexuality on a stage and see themselves reflected in it and from it. And you're also giving people space to think about what would they like a sexual experience to be like, whether they're 15 or, you know, 92. Right. Mm -hmm. And, 
I think that one, that's one of the things I do with parents too, is I'm like, I say to them, if you could, you know, script the ultimate sexual experience for your children, what, what factors would you want that to be? Yeah. And like often it's really like, they're like, Oh, like oh, they're yeah. super uncomfortable. I don't want to think about my child as a sexual being like, mm-hmm. but it's like, what ultimate experience would you want them to have in a romantic relationship, in a friendship? And they're like, to be respected and to be autonomous and for it to feel good. Mm-hmm. Right? You're like, okay, well, let's translate that yeah, into what you want like, that sexual experience to be like. Totally. Like, it doesn't have to, you know, and and that's from, you know, that's from generations of looking at the SEX piece of it and yeah. the shame piece of it. And for most people, nothing to be said at all. Like, no mm-hmm. one's saying anything, right? Which is, yeah. like, such a huge message because, you know, you, mm-hmm. you don't have that space to just talk about it and be comfortable. Like, it takes practice to talk about this and be comfortable. Absolutely. And you often ask me that when I go into classroom. They're like, what was it like your first time? And I'm like, like your first time, I'm like my first time doing what? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, like talking about sex. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. I'm like, well, it's like your first time anything. Like you, you, you don't know what to expect. You think about what could go wrong. You hope things will go right. But the more prepared you are, like for the things that could go right and the ability to react to the things that can go wrong with resources, mm-hmm. it's like that. Like, was I comfortable talking about sex in front of a group of people the first time? No, probably not. I mean, mm-hmm. no, like, I mean, I, I can sort of remember it because it was so long ago. I can sort of <laughs> just remember being like, okay, here we go. Like this is happening. Um, and just, yeah, yeah. It's just like whatever. But I think it, you know, it's just being genuine and like, this might not be what we think it's going to be. And, and that's like in anything in life, it's just showing up right. With, yeah. With where you're at and that humility and, and, and I think that's what, I mean, certainly the magic that you created through that production. I mean, I, I, when I think about it, I can see you in the boardroom at Island Sexual Health, um, <laughs> like just like your physicality, like just that like openness and like you engaged people and yeah, it, it, it really is magic. Like it really is nothing short of magic. So when people are like, so what do you do? Yeah. You can be like, I'm a magician. <laughs> because it really is I think it's magic like I think there's something almost otherworldly about it I know that sounds weird and cheesy but I really think it is because it's it's like a gift when you give a you give someone space to be who they really are Mm. that's pretty powerful oh thank you it was uh was a good space to be working in right (laughs) I feel like that's like the perfect place to cap I realize now I'm like I'm gonna do like part one interview with Jen, part two interview with Jen. Cause I like, we're going, I'm like, this is great. I'm like, Oh, this isn't going to be just like a 20, 30 minute interview. Like there's so much we're going to unpack. So I am really excited for like out people. There's definitely part one and part two. Awesome. There's never a shortage. Like, I think that's one of the the great things, like, cause it's not finite. Like there's so much to talk about and it, it connects to everything. Absolutely. Oh, I'm sure people, I'm getting people to call in and if they want to have, have questions and things. So if there are a few that I'm like, I don't know if I'm fully qualified, I will probably be calling you. Oh my gosh, please. I love that. <laughs> There's nothing better than that. I think yeah. secretly I always wanted to be like the love doctor in right? real life. Right. This is what I'm like trying to do. And I'm like, oh, it's like, like you said, it's a big responsibility. I'm like, oh, I don't know. This is why I keep talking to other people to be like, 
give me your knowledge. Let's share your knowledge yes. with the world. I'm like, that's what I can do well. So <laughs> that, yeah, that's basically what I do in the classroom. Like with the youth, I'm like, tell me what you think. Yeah. <laughs> and then Perfect. I can, you know, like basically go, yeah, you've got it. <laughs> yeah. That's Perfect. True. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. I oh. so appreciate you jumping on this call. Oh, I'm so glad you're doing this. I'm <laughs> so glad you're doing this. Like, thank I, you so honestly, much. I don't know that I can think about like anyone else. Like, well, I mean, it, it's like when we went on the reg, right? When I wanted to break mm-hmm. podcast and then you went on, like, yeah, it's just like, yeah, like you're my people. Right. You're like, <laughs> you this is our community. Right? Yeah, I know. So well, thanks again. And we will, I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon. <laughs> okay. Bye. Thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today and listening to the Love Doctor podcast. If you want your questions to be answered on the show, send a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check me out on Twitter or Instagram and send me a message. Let me know what are the things that you want covered on the show and I will do my darndest to get them on here. Until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual.